Hello and welcome to the Warwick F1 show. It's not a race week this week. Uh, we're looking forward to the War the Mexican Grand Prix, of course. <laughs> Shush. Um, <laughs> I know Will's shenanigans, so his, his mic was turned off, so he couldn't he, he couldn't interrupt me. But yeah, never mind. It's the Mexican Grand Prix this weekend, of course. But we've done the preview for that. That was Will's turn. It's my turn now, and. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't think of one really good idea for the show this week, so we're going to do ten kind of mediocre ideas, which should make a really good show when we put them all together. Either that, or I've just wasted ten show ideas, um, and we'll, we'll see how it turns out. So, uh, of course, my name's uh, Jack Rowe, joined by the uh, head of Raw Sport, Will Kingswood. Yeah, I'm back again. And we've got... I, I don't know if I can even call you a guest at this point. Uh, Jim May's back again. Yeah, I'm back as well. My my buddy, my loyal little helper. Yeah, yeah. You you're a member of Raw and the Warwick F1 Society. Um, so I he's guess we're just he's betrayed you. What, what do you mean he's betrayed me? Well, he's he clearly felt the grass was greener on the other side. No, no, no. We, we've got uh, like we need an even mix, don't we? I decided. To, I think I decided to take the best of both worlds, is what we can say. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Both of us uh <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we we're, we're gonna I, I'm gonna go over the, the show schedule pretty quickly. We we've got ten topics to talk about. And it's gonna be super quick fire, because that means ten different segments. That means yeah, eleven advert breaks. So you're gonna have about <laughs> five or six minutes, maybe up to eight minutes to talk about each one and then we'll put a short song on and we'll go again. So we're just gonna crack right into it. Like no time for song breaks. Uh and the first one on the list is kind of F one esports. And I just wanna know from you guys, one do you watch it? Uh why, why not? And is it functional? Is there something we can do to improve it? Right, I watched, I have watched, I watched the Italian Grand Prix, and from what I saw, it was quite fun. Like, I think it is good to have um, just some of the best uh, esports players in the world. I think F1 works well as an esports um, sort of structure, and it's come, and the fact that F1 themselves so heavily promote it, so heavily integrate it as part of just, I guess, the F1 brand makes it probably better than a lot of other esports, especially ones based on like real life sports. Yeah, have you have you watched it, uh Jimmy? Uh not much to be fair. I mean I have watched the odd race in there and sometimes I do watch the highlights. I just don't really spend time just physically watching the esports. But when I do watch esports they're actually quite a lot of fun, I'm not gonna lie. And especially with the esports being quite mega nowadays and just increasing it's like it's nice to see just f1 but without with with other people okay so we know that f1 esports has run on kind of the latest game uh and we'll, we'll come back to the game a little bit later as well but is that kind of an issue is it esports ready because You've got iRacing, right? That's a proper simulator. You've got mm. a set of Corsa. You've got R Factor. We've seen a lot of these being used over the lockdown. Is F1 ready for that, right? I think maybe. Obviously, you've got the idea that F1 is properly licensed by Codemasters, and I think now Codemasters are owned by EA as well. I think that the sport. I think it works. I, I yeah. I think that's what I'd say. I think it works because. It especially gives more accessibility to um, like more general, more casual players. Because when you think like um, FIFA, like esports on that, 
everyone can go and play FIFA. Everyone can go and play the F1 game. So it gives that accessibility. And I think the pros are fine with it. Maybe they prefer being on a on a simulator or on like more of a simulator game like um Assetto Corsa or iRacing, but it doesn't need to be, I think. On that point, you've mentioned the the cost of it. And if we look at esports in general, uh what are the really big esports? League of Legends, free. Mm. Valorant, free. CSGO, free. What else are we looking at? Is is F one limited because it is uh because the game is the business, not because it's the eSport. Mm. No, I've, I've, I've broken Chimbay. <laughs> what, what do you reckon, Will? I think it's different to like a League of Legends or Valorant and things like that just because it's based on an actual sport. And especially if you look at the, the sport, like sport genre of games, they all cost money. And... It's it's F one. I think it's more of a it's a bit more niche than like fo- a football, and the esports is just one part of the game, as opposed to being like the only part of the game. You can do league racing, just other competitive racing like casual racing, career mode, um, my driver, and things like that. It's part of the game as opposed to being the main focus of it. So I think that it works like. I think it works in what it is at the moment. Obviously, you're always going to have benefits to having more money. Like, if you can afford, like, a sim rig, then it's going to be easier to drive than if you're on the pad. But obviously, the greatest rise to the top, and there are some very, very good pad players that still manage to compete with the best. Yeah. Any plans to join the F1 Esports <laughs> crew, Jimmy? Um, I mean, I do own the game, but I don't. Uh, maybe some point in the future. I just, I just find it really difficult on the controller. <laughs> I'll go play. I play Forza Horizon. I just like the arcade aspect and the fact I can hone through the countryside at 200 miles an hour in like a Lamborghini. It's in Mexico. I need to get that game. Forza Horizon Five. Shout out to oh, Turn Ten. <laughs> All right, Give well, coffee. well, I said we were going to do short and quick. Um, we're going to end there once we've uh, taken a short break, and it really will be a short one. We'll be back. We'll talk about the virtual Grand Prix, uh, the ones that took place in 2020, of course, uh, and uh, and the, the takeover of Co-Masters by EA. Uh, back to the scheduled programming. It's the Warwick F1 show. Just talking about... Some random topics, I guess. Um, and we, we were kind of moving on from Warwick Esports. Uh, God. Warwick Esports. <sighs> Formula One Esports. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're going to move on to kind of talk about the, the virtual Grand Prix. So a little bit of a segue there. Um, of course, taking place in 2020, uh, when we didn't see on-track action for, how long is it, nine months maybe? It would be November to June probably seven yeah okay it was a long time it felt like a long time uh and i think that was the time when we really realized that racing is viable right we saw we saw the virtual grand prix how many of them were there three maybe was yeah it? about four or five or so yeah two. well quite a few of them mm. yeah i think they run some more after kind of testing or something like that didn't yeah. they? or maybe it's just after the first lockdown ended uh, we saw them we saw some indycar races nascar went big on it we saw loads and loads and loads of racing um i just want 
I just want to kind of get from you, like, one, did you watch it? And kind of what stood out to you? Um, I did watch them. Uh, I don't remember much of them because it was last year now. But I still remember there was some actually really good racing happening between, um, it was a, I think, a, I think it was Brazil, where it was about four laps where Alex Albon and Charles Leclerc literally went side by side for li- literally side by side continuously, or at least exchanging positions constantly for about four or five laps. It was just one of the best, like, really, really good racing that I've seen. That, And it's also fun to see how other people, like, outside of F1 also get involved. I think one of the goalkeepers also... Thibaut Courtois, yeah. Yeah, Courtois mm-hmm. got involved in a lot of esports and like it was just nice to see how how many people really did get involved in the virtual grand prix and it's also really just really nice to see f1 actually do something during lockdown to keep all its fans entertained as well yeah is it something that we're likely to see again is it a one-off thing or because we know that liberty media really like this kind of thing they want the marketing they want the hype around it um they've really benefited for benefited from the the twitch quartet as we like to say uh is would you like to see it again will um i mean i think it'll be a one-off thing i think so obviously it started with veloce i want to say that had the not the australian grand prix in the wake of obviously the race being cancelled in march and then it sort of got brought under F1's wing and then they did their own like virtual Grand Prix series but realistically I don't think it'll happen again I think obviously they want to put more focus on the esports and like the drivers probably don't have time I think you'll you will see drivers probably streaming again you'll see them on Twitch like Leclerc, Russell, Albon uh, Norris, I think he still streams. I think you'll see them back there, and I think you will see them racing, just probably not in the formalized structure that we saw over those months. Yeah, because we we kind of see, I guess, this expanded calendar, right? F1 wants to take as much of that year as possible. Is this a solution to that? Because, I mean, with 23 races, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, teams being stretched to their limit. Um, and we saw, oh yeah, Formula E did it as well, didn't they? They did a proper one, like, they had all the drivers involved, it was a requirement for them. So obviously, it's possible. Um, is that a solution to that problem, or is it an addition, or just a bit meh for them? I think it would be a nice addition. I think it would probably be nice to have something a little bit different, a bit offbeat to see get see us involved with every single F1 driver just doing something different. But I doubt that all the drivers would want to get involved with it. I don't see all F1 drivers at least wanting, willing to be doing something like an eSports, I'm not going to lie. But it'll be good to see something like this happen every once in a while just to give an offbeat and, you know, have a bit of a laugh. Yeah, is it more about that? Is it more about the having a laugh than than that? In that case, I think, who was it? Ian Poulter, the golfer, right down the back every week, got in the way. Um, but is it more about that? Do we need to see more, like, fun little bits? Is it enough to just have 20 drivers that you mostly know just go and race around a thing? Well, I think it was perfect from a marketing standpoint because you are taking people from outside the world of F1. You had, like, your Thibaut Courtois. You had your, um, like, who else? Oh, Ian Poulter, you said. And then you got YouTubers like Pieface, 
and even and then YouTubers from within the F1 scene, like Arava, Team at Marduk, um, like took part in a load of the races. Jimmy Broadbent, obviously. And then I think it just merged sort of... While F1 was a thing, I don't think enough people knew enough people to talk about F1 with. But as soon as you see, oh, your favourite... Or, like, like, Real Madrid fans, you see your goalkeeper driving in the virtual Grand Prix, you're like... And you like F1. You're like, oh, Courtois in... Did you see Courtois in F1 to, like, other Real Madrid fans? And then you talk about F1. I think it just... The variety of competitors meant that more people were drawn into the sport because while they may have, obviously, that one interest, they may be interested in FIFA through Pieface, golf through Ian Poulter, football through Courtois. That brought them into F1 and sort of linked fandoms that were, weren't originally linked in the first place. It's a good point. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about EA as well um, a, a bit of a meme I think um, but EA own Codemasters at the moment don't they they have have done since before when was it was it like midway through the development of F1 2021 I think yeah yeah. Um, do you think they're going to ruin it basically because they've got a reputation for doing that haven't they they own all the FIFAs the NBAs whatever and yeah it's it's difficult to say but do you think they're going to ruin it? I hope not. That's all I hope for. I just hope Codemasters keep pretty much all the say in the development side of things compared to EA. I don't think F1 will let them ruin it because they'll just stop giving the license. F1 know that the game especially is another way for fans to get introduced into the sport. Like you see it at, at, whenever the game comes out in what, like June? Yeah. Like... That's the game for at least a week. Everyone, every, or like a load of streamers play it, things like that. F1 won't let them, won't let EA ruin it. And they also won't allow, and I think there's too much of a form, there's too much of history of how it works. You get access to all the cars, all the drivers. Maybe they make online a bit more, a bit more, um, like EAE, but pay to win. To be honest, online isn't even the main aspect of F1, as opposed to obviously um, FIFA. Most people, I'd say, play career mode and my driver. Like I got the game last year. I didn't really do much online. I did career mode most of the time. I mean, I've had every single Formula One game since 2017, and I've played online mode twice in the last four or five years yeah online is i think online works a lot better as opposed to a fifa where you can just play someone random online works better when you're playing with friends and then that's always going to be a thing and then other than that most people do a career mode because realistically you can make a career mode as hard or as easy as you want it to be you've got that control and i think because of that and because it's been so ingrained for so long that there's career mode, there's online, and there's now a few new newer features. Like, it won't... I don't think... I don't even think EA, to finish off, can ruin the game. I don't see a way of them making it worse. I can only see a way of because they're giving... Probably going to give Codemasters so much more money yeah. that the game c 
can only really get better. All right, well, we will uh, we'll come back to that in about two years' time, and we'll see, shall we? And we're back with the Warwick F1 show, and we're just going little section by little section. So at the moment, uh, we have just talked about the F1 game, and we're going to go talk about uh, kind of quadrant. We're going to use quadrant uh, as as a as a lens to look at the impact that F1 drivers can have. And if you don't know what quadrant is, it is essentially uh, Lando Norris's own brand, uh, selling clothing. He sponsors a couple of carts or something like that, and. Most importantly, I think the YouTube channel, that's the biggest place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you guys seen any of that? You've got I've watched insight? a bit of it. I think I always find it better when they've got guests on. I don't know. I've just... I don't really watch... I didn't really watch any of their channels individually. So I didn't really see the appeal of watching the group channel because, like there i didn't and um, that's not the only f1 kind of group channel we've got right and we've talked about it already there's veloce esports um is it is this tendency to kind of take a few it's not even minor is it these are like reasonably sized channels and just kind of mush them together is that something we're going to see more more in the future do you think probably i mean to be fair we something like this you can't never you can never predict what you're going to find you know Next thing you know, probably Veloce is going to, I don't know, probably do a collaboration with KSI and then you actually, you never know with anything. Mm. I mean, I doubt, I mean, the chance of that is probably next is nothing. I mean, but you probably might see channels like this do stuff for Formula One. I mean, Formula One YouTube channel has already done stuff, I think, was it? Josh Ravel did something with... Um, yeah, F2. F2 review. That was, F- that was such a good video. I mean, he's a brilliant YouTuber anyway. So, I mean, I won't be surprised if something collaborations do happen in the future anyway. Yeah, and we've uh, we've already seen Veloce because they're an esports team, and they've got this F one side uh, and a bit of racing as well. But they've uh, they've got a team in Extreme E, haven't they? Yeah, um, I can't remember who drove for them now. Jamie Chadwick, I think. And oh, don't ask me who the other one on, is. Let me find it. <laughs> uh, so they're Veloce. they're not a minor thing. This is uh, this is kind of a, a big uptake for them. Um, but is is that something Lando's trying to emulate? Because he's He's got clothing brand with Quadrant as well, I think. Um, is he trying to become the next... Uh, like, what, what would you even call that kind of company? It's like... So, I mean, the group channel probably is a British invention. <laughs> thanks to the Sidemen. Like, realistically. Oh, no. <laughs> no, they, there had been group channels before. But they were never really that successful. But then uh, the Sidemen came in yeah. and it took off. And you've seen it hop over to America. You've seen, like, Team 10, the Wave House, the Hype House. I hate these names. And then Face Clan, right? It's coming, uh, like, it's here. It's, like, a British thing as well. There's other channels. And I think if you can, if you can pull resources, then there's only benefit, is there? isn't there? And realistically, if there's always going to be that figurehead of the channel, like, in... Like, America, you had, like, Team 10 was... The figurehead was Jake Paul. The figurehead of the Sidemen, maybe, because it's so developed. But even now, or especially at the beginning, probably KSI was the figurehead. And with um, Quadrant, Lando Norris is the figurehead. I think it's good for 
I always, I'm always coming back to F1 and the brand, but it is good for the F1 brand because especially if they can attach themselves to like YouTubers that like F1 but don't make F1 content. I'm thinking like Zerka. He likes F1, doesn't make F1 content. Yeah. Makes a video with Quadrant. His viewers go, who's Josh made a video with? Yeah. Goes and Go and watch that. Maybe, what, 5 10%? of it, them like the video like the video wants to find out more about F1 go and watch Drive to Survive watch the races and so on and so on I think and then that gets quadrant engagement I think social media is the future and I think social media is what Lando Norris is trying to tamp into either to increase his I mean he probably increases his marketability he probably enjoys it as well so I think that it's only a smart business decision from what is at the beginning it's at the he's at the beginning of a very long career yeah is it is there an aspect of like i know there'll, there'll be always going to be fan base that are opposed to anything because it's it's a divisive sport but is there a section of the fan base that, that purist that would be like drivers are here to drive if you're spending time running your own clothing company um are you just are you taking that fame that you've got through f1 and kind of manipulating the market are you wasting your time what, what is, is is that something that's worth thinking about I think um, there is a small section of the fan base that's already like that I think especially with like Lewis Hamilton because Lewis Hamilton is always he's associated with so many brands nowadays from Bose to Tommy Hilfiger I mean loads of the sponsors that are on the Mercedes car are mainly to do with Lewis Hamilton but I feel that nowadays majority of the fan base like would prefer for the drivers to be more than just a racing driver. They prefer to be able to relate to them. So someone like Lando like Lando knows doing stuff like the Twitch streaming and Quadrant and stuff like that. I think that is a much better way to go. But I think there'll always be but there'll always be some people who will prefer pe- drivers to just drive. But I think at least probably at least ninety percent would prefer people just to have a much bigger personality in the wider world nowadays. Okay, last question: uh, Have you seen the Pierre Gasly NFT thing? No, I have yes. Okay, is that is that a, a situation where Gasly's just using his fame that he's got from somewhere else and kind of? I don't think damaging the reputation of Formula 1 is the right way to put it, but is it like putting a bit of a damper on... Because, you know, there there are people who do that, right? There are people who uh, go viral with one video and then everything is like sell out. Um, is, Is that selling out? I think he can... If he honestly believes in... Some people honestly believe in NFTs. I'm not one of them. And no, me neither. Yeah. I, I mean, the junk he, If made, he but. honestly believes in their value, then and it's not up to him to make people buy it. If people are going to choose to buy it, and he's allowed to use the talent... that He's got the talent to be an F1. He's got the talent to have that platform, and he's a, allowed to use it for other things. Like... Lewis Hamilton makes money off his endorsements and things like that. He's allowed to do that. Like, Lando Norris is probably making money off Quadrant. He's allowed to do that if he wants to. Like, you can choose to do these things, and I think that it's fine. I don't think... I think we need to recognise that sports people are now celebrities, they're, or expect a lot of them are celebrities if they choose to be. If they 
are good enough, then they can move outside their sport. And if, to be honest, if it doesn't impact on their results, then it doesn't matter. I remember, I think it was Lewis Hamilton in 2019 was criticised for going from Italy to London to New York to Singapore between the Italian and Singapore Grand Prix. He went and put, he went and did at the Singapore Grand Prix probably one of the best one lap of his career to put that car on pole and win the race. It's clearly not impacting on him and he's perfectly justified, as are any of the drivers, to earn money from stuff outside of F1. Okay, there you go. That's, uh, that's going to be our final opinion. Uh, in the Raw 1251 studio with the Warwick F1 show. And we, uh, we're we going to move on and we're going to talk about uh, kind of special helmets and special liveries. And, you know, until a few years ago, uh, drivers had to stick to one helmet, right? Um, and now we're seeing, I think at the US Grand Prix, was it 10 different yeah. drivers with uh, special helmets? What, what do you reckon? Is it better to have, uh, I mean, we're all like, we're not long-term fans, but, you know, we've been here for a few years. Is it better for new fans to have that single helmet, or is, or is that just not a worry that we really have? I think livery matters more, personally. You can't really see the helmet with the halo. The one issue I have with IndyCar, especially, is that it is impossible, as a new watcher, to tell who's in what team. And especially, I remember watching the race at Laguna Seca, Grosjean's trying to lap um, people to catch up to, I think it was Herter in Newgarden. And then they said, oh, Rossi, um, Rossi's like Herter's teammate or something. And obviously no blue flag, so he's going to want to hold Grosjean behind. Without that, there's no way of telling. <laughs> like, <laughs> how, was, how was I meant to know that Rossi in, I think it was a blue and orange car, is a teammate of Herter in, I think, a yellow and black car. Like, that's not... That's one issue I have with IndyCar, and I think it works so much better in F1 that, realistically, if you know which drivers are in, are in which teams and don't know, like, driver numbers and can't see the helmet, you've got a 50-50 chance of getting it right. I mean, Crofty still gets it wrong. More times than we'd probably like, but at worst, I think the livery makes more of a difference, and then that gives the drivers variety to have fun. I'd love, I'd love to have a new helmet every race, just the ones that look really cool. Okay, so I guess your opinions on what Will said is it? Um, uh, no, I've got questions, but I'm going to come back to them. What, what do you reckon to that? No, I fully agree with what Will said. I think is at least at least having like a livery that's consistent, like you can actually tell what team it is, and you have so at least a fifty-fifty chance of getting the drivers right. And now in the last few years, especially when we had that, was it? Now we have the same driver number for like a, a number designated for each driver. So there's that chance that you actually know which driver it is. You don't actually physically have to look at the helmet. And plus, with the helmet, is like the one is the like, is the only is the only piece of. Uh, Attire or gear that the drivers have that they can go far and creative with, and it is like I said, it's really fun to see just to, just to see what the drivers come up with, and especially people like Lando Norris and Danny Ricciardo in particular, really going full out creative with the helmets. It's just really fun to see it. 
And I guess it kind of leans into the the whole personalization that we started when we got proper like fixed driver numbers as well. What what was that? Was that 2015, 2014, something like that? I think it was 15. Okay, yeah. And that was that was kind of when we started to notice this big change in Formula 1. Um <coughs> let's talk about special liveries then. Um, I'll come back to the my questions, but we've seen how many this year? Three? We've seen the... Gulf, McLaren. Yeah. We've seen the Red Bull. Yeah. Uh, we saw kind of one for Alfa Romeo at Monza. Yeah, technically, but wasn't much different. Yeah, it was yeah, the, just a splash of green paint at the back of the car, and that's it. I think that was it this year, isn't it? Mm. Um, what do you reckon to them? Because you've, you've kind of made your opinions clear if it's... Uh, you want to see those those consistent teams, but is it is that too much or is it just a one off? All right for you, will I think liveries, um, especially if they're very different, the Red Bull in um, Turkey and the McLaren in Monaco, and then to a lesser extent maybe even the Ferrari in Imola, not Imola, Mugello. And the Mercedes in Germ- like Germany 2019. Yeah. I think they work much better as occasions. I think the drivers can have as much fun as they want, but we want there needs to be some consistency. And I think obviously having those liveries, often they look really good, and that's like better for it because they are a one one like race livery. Although. With Mercedes, that livery's lasted for almost two seasons now. And personally, I like it better than the silver. And it's quite weird looking back at the races before and seeing the silver Mercedes. But I think, especially because the teams want brand recognition more than the drivers, because the drivers are characters or people still outside the cars, the teams want some consistency. So doing something for a special occasion like Ferrari's a thousandth race last season um, Red Bull's commemoration of Honda this season and why didn't McLaren do the golf livery? Just for the Just vibes. Just for the, bounce, yeah, for the I guess. vibes. And, yeah and even for the vibes and especially because that golf, the golf livery is so so good looking I think that one-offs will be hit and, and now Especially because we haven't seen it before. We only saw it, I've, I can only think, like 2013 Red Bull, where they did that fun one with all the photos. Yeah, we saw, we've seen a lot of kind of pit crew stuff, haven't we? <laughs> Especially from Red Bull. Red Bull are kind of prolific at it. Um, but I guess that comes from not being a car company so much as they're very brand-focused anyway, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, so... Let's say I think on the rules you would add like one one race right one per year. Would you like to see that from every every team every year? I don't think teams would run more than one exceptionally distinct one per year. Yeah. I don't mind having minor ones like you saw with the Alpha this year because yeah. realistically it still looked like an Alpha. It just had a few yeah. Italian flags on it. Yeah, but major ones. I could only see teams running one a year maximum. Yeah. I think the main bit with liveries is at least if you can, it's the cars are just recognisable as they're distinct from the rest of the grid, then I have no problem 
then I have no problem with teams trying out doing minor changes or even go for a complete new respray like a golf livery one off or something but like Will said is perfectly what I, what I would think as well okay right uh, a little bit more drastic. You said, Will, the first thing you said was it's about being able to recognise what team. But you also said it's difficult to see what kind of driver uh, it is. So let's let's try and find a happy medium. Can we have a livery like, uh, I think, Dragon in 2019 in Formula E where they had um, colour flip? So... Uh, you, you know the Alfa Romeo livery was pretty mm. much like went from being red on the bottom white well, on the like top. Or like the Alfa the... Tower, especially. Yeah, could we have liveries like that, one per driver? Is that something that you'd like to see, or? Mm. Then you're getting a bit more indie car in. Yeah. Really, really, that is one of my biggest pet peeves about that sport or that series is that you cannot tell whose teammates. And I don't think it really works. Obviously, you've got some like. It works for Alfa Romeo, it works for Alfa, Tauri, probably Williams, but then you're getting into, like, Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, Red Bull, the big teams. You can't really, you can't in really invert a Ferrari car, can you? Because they both want to be red, yeah. like, and you understand that. But they've got their burgundy, right? Yeah, it, no it one like no one likes it, but it could work. I just don't really. I think I don't really see the need. I don't think it's not an idea that needs to be fixed. It's not like an indie car where I would pay so much money for that to be fixed. I'd literally buy the series and force them to run team team like <laughs> liveries. That is just, it annoys me so much, but. I think what we have now, I think, is a uh, we've reached the peak of what it can really be. We've got the drivers have um, as much creativity as they want to. The teams technically also have as much creativity as they want to, but they are balanced by the fact that they want brand recognition. So we could probably, I'd be happy to see this continue into the future, I think. Having, yeah, just drivers, as many helmets as they want, teams one-off liveries on special occasions and then I think that's fine. I think Liberty are happy to have it because they love the buzz of one-off liveries. Like they got, The buzz of the golf livery was off the scale, even the buzz of the Red Bull livery. That's probably why they got told, they must have been told, they must have told Codemasters to get that in the game. There must be some communication yeah. there, I'm sure. Uh, okay then, we're going we're gonna to move on. Um, after the break, of course. And we're back with the Warwick F1 show. And uh, we're really going short and sharp now, um, running out of time. So uh, we're going to talk for the last section this hour about um, kind of segueing on a little bit. And I want to talk about what would happen uh, or how we fix Monaco. And we'll start with special liveries again. So we've talked about what would happen if teams did one special livery a year. But what if they did one special livery a year at one race a year at Monaco? 
I'm not gonna lie, I don't, as much as the liveries would look beautiful on the night lights, I wouldn't want to see in Monaco night race. Nope. Maybe that, that is not what I, we're gonna, we're gonna come we'll on come to on that. I've, 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 special uh, liveries yeah, in Monaco. Yeah, I've distracted, so, I've distracted. No, fine. We were talking about that over the break, <laughs> so I, I'll forgive you for that, but. Yeah, but like, yeah, I'll, I'll continue my point, I mean, as much as the liveries would just look beautiful under the lights, it would, um. I kind of just like because it would just hide all the rest of the scenery, like the harbors. Would, harbor would mm. look nice because obviously the lights and stuff. But like for me, majority of the what makes Monaco really nice is just the scenery around as well, the Riviera, just like the with the, the mountains and stuff like that. I just feel that that sort of bit would take away a lot of the charm of Monaco, in my opinion. Even though a night race would look cool with liveries and stuff like that. So I mean, well, oh come on, I'll do both. So special liveries. Could work. Might, yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to pick a race to do it, it's fine. If you're going to pick a race to do it, Monaco would be the one. Night race? Yeah. The, you'd have the big bright lights. It would feel like a event, like a gla- like black, like ev- not black tie, like glam, just a glamorous event at night in Monaco, things like that. I'd, I'd like, <laughs> yeah, and then maybe you marry the two and you go for like a sunset race. You have the sun setting over the mountains as they start, and then we finish under the lights. Uh, where have we seen sunset races before? We see Abu Dhabi's a sunset race. I don't think there's been any. I think maybe it. the first Bahrain one was, or the second Bahrain one was, or something like maybe. that. Maybe. Yeah, hmm. I think the first Bahrain race last year was a sunset or something like that, and then Sakir was the one with the outer loop was. No. Hmm. Well. We see a lot of night races in Asia, right? We've seen Singapore has been like the... I think Singapore's the best one. I don't know about you guys. What do you reckon's the best night race? I'd say Singapore. That's, for me, the whole charm of the race. There you go. What about you, Will? Yeah, I think Singapore gets a lot less criticism than it probably merits just because it's a night race. Well... Does the same thing not apply for Monaco? Like, well, I know we have the glitz and glamour already. I know it's the it's the jewel in the in the crown, so to speak. But we don't get good racing there. And Singapore was pretty much universally hated as a. Well, I don't know. I think Singapore's always been night. Has it? I'm yeah, sure it's more Bahrain, okay. especially Bahrain Maybe. on the calendar in oh six. I want to say 06. It might be wrong. But came on the calendar in uh, a... Was it 06? Because I feel like they didn't race there in 07 or 08. I'm on Google that. But came on the calendar as a day race. Wasn't really loved. Mm. It was a very tolerable race. It was yellow. It's just yellow. Lots of mm. desert. Switched to a night race in 2014. I know that for a fact. And suddenly, that's one of the best races on the calendar now. Because maybe it was just, maybe you just got unlucky with how the racing was before it went dark. But it just makes it better. And almost, I almost feel like, and I think F1 switching to it as well, Bahrain is the new opener. Open with a spectacular looking night race before going into like the i guess the day ones and then you end at the, or the like the night of the season like the end of the season with the battle coming down to the final races yeah. or the sunset race in abu dhabi it's great for it's great for the 
I guess just the narrative and I think Bahrain works a lot better as a night race and I think Singapore also works good as a night race but obviously the traditional ones the ones with no lights basically are always going to have to be in the day mm. I think I was thinking because it Singapore was the first ever night race, wasn't it? Mm. Um, Maybe that threw me off. Now I I need... It was 2006, maybe. Hang on. Well, what do you mean, maybe? (laughs) No, because it said 2004 somewhere. Someone else taught, were they? Okay. Uh, Well, I think we're going to cut to a break, because I said we're going to go short and sharp. It was 2004. 2004 was the first race? Yes. And then you said it missed 2007 and 2008? No, I just... Massa won both of them. I just can't remember the Bahrain Grand Prix that season. Okay. I guess that's sort of... Oh, no. Pro- just five, pro- five and six-year-old Will can't remember that. Well, no, I, just, I feel like... I, just, I guess that just proves my point, that the day races at Bahrain are so forgettable, and we remember some of the... We remember the night races, the Jewel in the Desert 2014, the start of the season, which I still think is one of the top three races this season. Yeah, the this season. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was a cracker, yeah. What an opener that was. Um, but the fact is we can remember those races. Obviously, maybe that was just unlucky that in the day we didn't have something good, but I feel like there's just an extra extra layer of magic under the lights. Okay. Yes or no? Monaco right race. Jimmy? No. Will? Yeah. I go for yes. And welcome back to the Work F1 show. It is the top of the hour here on Raw 1251 AM. Uh, I'm My name is Jack Rowe, publicity officer for Work F1 Society. We're joined, of course, uh, by Will Kingswood, the head of sport at Raw. Yeah, whatever. Uh, he, he's nodding. He's, he's forgotten his... I didn't even put his, his mic up. Ah. What a disaster, right. And I'm also joined, of course, by uh, Chimmy from, I guess, both of them now, both. right? Yeah. <laughs> You, you, you've betrayed me and uh, joined Raw as well, but um, we welcome we'll, you with open yeah, arms. Okay, 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 we get it. Uh, and we were we're talking about a mismatch of topics here. We've uh, we've gone through five kind of mini topics uh, that we can't stretch into a whole show, but we can definitely fit in ten minutes. And we're going to keep going on that on that front, um, talking about Pirelli um, and. I want to know, because they took over from Bridgestone, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, in 2014? Was it earlier oh, than that? Oh, it was 2011. Oh, was it way yeah, earlier it than that? Okay, no, no, I'm right. I, I'm Sorry, I'm, I'm way off. Uh, have they done a good enough job, basically? I mean, I think they've just done what they've been asked to every year. And I think, to be honest, they've probably got more criticism than they deserve. They were asked to create tyres that like fell apart in the first few years they did that they probably fell apart maybe slightly too quickly but they've done what they've been asked to and i think now especially i've got little to no issue with the tires i think they offer maybe i would say they're slightly too durable but then maybe they're not i think the tires now are very fine they're there they don't they can influence a race with strategy. They allow for that strategy. and But they're not going to fall apart every five seconds, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, nothing. 
there's nothing wrong with the tires. I think, especially with Pirelli, now with the new rear, con- is it the new rear tires with the new construction ever since the Baku incident? The tires have been extremely fine. Probably jinx. Well, I probably jinx something that's going to happen in the next couple of races with the Pirelli tires now. But yeah, I think they they don't fall apart too. Qu- they don't fall apart too quickly. Yes, that may happen. That might reduce the interest in strategy, but at least they do. The do as a send ten. That's what it is. Let's talk about Baku then, because we saw. Oh, Will's just winced. <laughs> it confuses me that there were only failures at Baku. I know they've made the changes, but do you think it's just coincidence? I think there must have been something on the track, on the racing line. Maybe it was embedded in the in the tarmac, and people just got unlucky. I just don't... I think there's correlation and then there's causation. It's just like, was it Pirelli that caused the two tyre failures? Was it the Pirelli tyres that caused the two tyre failures? Or was it that two tyre failures just happened to occur within 10 laps of each other? Because we've seen tyre failures happen before, just like running over debris. But it happened to Bottas in Baku. Obviously, that was definitely debris because you could see it on the track. I think they got, and I think they just got unlucky. Maybe there was something wrong. Maybe there was something wrong with that batch of tires. Maybe there was a design defect, and it just hit Stroll and Verstappen before it hit everyone else. Because they they did an investigation, right? And they said that it was debris, um, but they didn't kind of explain where or like how they came to that conclusion. Um, do you think the fact that the two incidents both happened on the front straight is kind of more evidence of that? Or is it just like, you know, is it just coincidence? I don't know, maybe a mixture too, because when we see the front straight, we're talking about Baku. It's it's an extremely long straight. And then, and then the thing, Lonsdale was at the beginning of the straight, and then Maxwell Stampin was right at the end at the start-finish start line. So maybe it could have been a little bit of debris. Maybe it could have been something with the surface of the road, because don't forget, it is a public road at the end of the day. But maybe... It could have been, but I think it's probably a little bit more of a coincidence than anything else and just a little bit over of the tyres and just sequence of events, wrong place at the wrong time. Okay, well, there have been other incidents as well from Pirelli. Can you remember which of the Silverstone races was it? 2013. Hmm? It was 2013, so I was thinking of the exact one. I was thinking last year, Silverstone, with the oh, yeah, that as well. with Hamilton and I was Bottas. thinking early Pirelli. No, All right, well, remind, remind me of 2013, Silverstone. Um, all the tyres blew up. It was like, there were like five tyre failures. I think Vern, Hamilton had one. I want to say Perez might have had one. But yeah, there were five tyre failures. They changed the tyres. And most, I mean, from what I remember, that seemed to really benefit Red Bull and Vettel went on to win nine straight races after that. Uh, and then obviously, as you were saying, we had last year. I think the Silverstone especially is a very tyre-demanding circuit, which is why I'm... Uh, had they changed the rules by Silverstone on pressures from Baku? Uh, they must have, surely. Because you look at Silverstone and the amount of tyre issues that we've had... At that track, we had 13. We had, I want to say, three last year. 
I don't know. Oh, it was Kvyat, Sainz. Oh, and Bottas and Hamilton, so four. So Silverstone, I think, is the peak tyre potential for problems track. I think they actually did change the tyre. I don't think so if they did it specific for Baku. But I remember they did increase the tyre pressures for mm. the race after that because Silverstone was two weeks in a row. Yeah, I think they have different tyre pressures per track, don't they? Yeah. Or is it... Yeah. They must do. Yeah, because obviously different tracks will have different... Because obviously there's five different tyres for the... Or maybe uh, they've got different compounds and that mandates yeah. running at different pressures or something. Yeah, anyway, the the point being, uh, we can't... It's difficult to say whether, you know, because of Baku, they changed it to Silverstone. Mm. Um, yeah, and let's talk about the... Very quickly, about the new diameter tyres. I have in- immediately forgotten the number. Um, but they've they've introduced bigger tyres to Formula 2, and they're doing the same to Formula 1 next year. I think it's 18-inch rims. I'm not sure on the tyre. Well, I think... Well, yeah. Are the tyres the same size? Uh, I think the tyre diameter is bigger, but I, I don't, think... Yeah, I don't think it's... I think it's slightly bigger and it doesn't yeah. compensate for the yeah. amount the rims have grown. Yeah, there you go. So, the um, obviously, the t- the wheels are going from 13-inch to 18-inch. Uh, the tread width is staying the same as this year, but the overall diameter is just going to increase very slightly at the end, because, obviously, it's low-profile tyres as well. Yeah. Going into. Okay, so... We've we've had a look um, recently, and there's been some talk about whether having those bigger tyres is going to make the cars faster, um, because you get less rolling resistance, and because oh, I can't, I cannot remember for the life of me. I'm not technical enough. I'll Google while we're talking. I'll look up why <laughs> we're changing the tyres. Um, do you think uh, that was kind of the the key opportunity to to? Because uh, there's been some talk about other tyre manufacturers. I can't remember. Um, it might have been Firestone. Is that like a? Is that them locked in for three years now or four years now? Or do you know? Do you need a change of regulations like that to change tire manufacturers? Um, I don't think so. Not necessarily, but it would be a lot helpful for if it's a new tire manufacturer to come in for the regulations to change because obviously, probably have had the last six, seven years to perfect these sort of tires and the ranges and stuff that what they provide. To perfect, so obviously the tires has, and has been developed to the best they possibly can in this last seven years. So, but I think we have seen, but we've seen other tire manufacturers come in at the same time, with the same regulations. I think it was a Michelin and Bridgestone happening at the beginning of the millennium, and obviously they they went side by side with each other, but. Obviously, it would be easier if there were new regulations for new time manufacturers to come, especially with the R&D costs nowadays, especially with everything becoming so much expensive to develop. I think it's to increase the working range. So I guess with more rubber, there's more rubber to be cold, and you've got to get it. I don't know. It might be right, but theoretically, if there's more rubber, there's more rubber that's going to be cold, and you have to get all of it within that working range. And if you go too far, then some of it's going to start to overheat. So if you've got less volume, I guess, it can be in the working range for a lot longer. And that means, apparently, that means the driver's going to be able to push harder. And in the FIA's favorite buzz, two buzzwords, improve raceability. I'm pretty sure that second one isn't even a word, but... Well, uh, we'll have to see whether it does improve raceability uh, into into next year. But uh, 
We're not done talking about uh, this year uh, yet. Uh, we'll be taking a quick break and then we'll be back with more little sections. So And we're back with the Warwick F1 show for the... Oh, good. We're on the seventh seventh segment now. And we're going to talk a little bit about the new pit stops. So in... Oh, God, whatever month it uh, I was. I want to say Hungary. It was it just before the, the half... Just before the break, wasn't it? Yes, so that would be Hungary. Um, so, yeah, in, in Hungary, we saw changes to the way that pit stops are done. And there's... Uh, I can't remember what the time it is. 0.2 to 0.3 seconds between dropping and going. Yeah, I think they were meant to be in Hungary, but actually they introduced it in Spa. Well, that one well. We got lots of pit stops in Spa. Yes, yeah. we all know. All the pit stops. Yeah, um, that's my well, favourite race of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Is it, it definitely won't be twenty second? Uh, are we going to have to rank them all like twenty two to yes, one? Are we? we are. Uh, that that will be a show. I will make that happen. Okay. All right. Uh, back on topic. Uh, new pit stops. Um, is this right? We've we've we know that um, rules can and will be introduced to to limit the effectiveness effectiveness of teams. Um, we saw it in two thousand and five versus Ferrari. We've seen it obviously twenty twenty um, and twenty twenty one versus Mercedes. Is this here to limit Red Bull? Yeah, probably. But rules have always got. There's always going to be teams that have rules against them. And they realise that the FIA can just go, we've done this for X. Oh, no, it affected the team we wanted it to affect. However, could we have seen that happen? Like, the rules for the... The aero rules were likely brought in to bring back Mercedes into the fray, but they were done with the under the guise of... The, uh, I think it was the FIA's favourite word, raceability. So... Realistically, these pit stop rules done under the guise of safety. Have there been pit stop issues this season? I not mean, there's the longest pit stop ever by Bottas. There but is that's that not the, safety there issues, the 46 is hour, Was it 46 hours? <laughs> Something pit stop? like that. I, I love that. Um, yeah, when was the last time we saw safety issues in a pit stop? Um, was it back with Raikkonen at Bahrain? In so, I mean, we've had a few incidents that aren't really the pit stop's fault. Like Hamilton and Stroll both hit the front Jackman, but that's not really the pit stop's fault. Probably Raikkonen running over his own mechanic. Yeah, uh, a few a uh, few tires that weren't attached properly. Um, one of the wasn't it one of the Hasses in Turkey last year? I think it might be Magnussen. Hmm. The two Hasses in twenty eighteen. I think the Haas in 20... Maybe Haas should just be banned from pit stops. <laughs> yeah, especially in Australia. <laughs> so that's, that's that's there for safety reasons, right? And I think it was because people were dropping the jack and the as the as the tyres were starting to spin up, right? I think everything was just getting really, really, really close together. And it was... Because yeah. what? The record got down to 1.8... I think it's 1.83, yeah. 1.83 by Red Bull, who I think have about the top eight fastest pit stops in F1. Like, their mechanics are supremely quick. But 1.83 seconds to change, like, two tyres. So 1.83, we did that. I think we did this last week. Well, 1.83 is now to about now. 
that's that's two seconds so it's two tenths of a second quicker than that to change four tires get the car up put the car back down well, possibly it, even make wing adjustment adjustments mm, as well it probably did need to be slowed down ever so slightly and i think that we're just seeing teething issues at the moment okay so there is you know there's a minimum time but when you're changing tyres, teams are obviously not going to know whether it's minimum time or not. So is this just another? Is it just another sporting regulation like the fuel, where teams are going to push it and push it and push it and push it um, until they get to you know ninety five percent the limit or whatever? It. Yeah, probably. Is just yeah. I mean, this is Formula One. The whole point of Formula One was to push the limits of technology. Of course, they're going to push as far as they possibly can. Okay, so. We've talked about kind of, you know, this is not limiting teams, is it? We're still seeing 2.1, 2.2 second pit stops. Why didn't they go the whole hog? Why didn't they say minimum four second pit stop? Because then you have those times when recently Ferrari or Haas make massive errors and you get six, seven, eight second pit stops and you're still punished for that. But you no longer put those mechanics in the situation where they have to get this tire off in a split second. Um, is that would that be more safety? Is that too much to ask from Formula One? Uh, it's probably a bit arbitrary. <laughs> like, I, just thought no, but the I think my point would be is it removes any of the skill involved. Obviously, we're slowing the pit stops down, but the the faster teams are still gonna do the pit stops faster. You'd think. Whereas if you go, realistically, every team is aiming for a sub two and a half, I'd say, is a realistic goal for every team as a what I guess would be a perfect pit stop. Maybe Red Bull would go lower. Some other teams would go higher, depending on how how they see it. But if you go down to four seconds and it just removes any of the risk, because inherently pit stops are risky. Like, you're changing four tyres as quickly as possible mistakes can happen and those mistakes can decide championships I mean I've not got I'm not sure there's much more to say on that topic which is fortunate because we're going to take a little and we're back with the Warwick F1 show just a couple sections left right uh, well three I guess total uh, and we're going to talk about sprint races because we've had the 2022 calendar announcement with this bumper crop of 23 races and we've also had CEO of Formula 1 uh, Stefano Domenicali I really hope I've got his name right yeah um, right. yeah we've we've had him saying he wants how many sprint races was it he wants to gradually make it so every race has a sprint race okay I think he's thinking of I think it might be six or seven in 2022 right mm. um, let's start with the basics right are they good like there's there's the the purest view and then there's the i guess just more racing kind of view where do you stand i mean i like the fact that there is more racing with the sprint races there's just more more for fans to see but i just feel that some i'm still not a hundred percent convinced by sprint races i don't know why but there's just something about the old qualifying system which i just like well what about you i think the weekend format needs would need restructuring making sprint races not and making sprint races an addition as opposed to an integral like at the moment the way it is so 
you qualify for the sprint race, then you sprint for the quali I guess for the race grid. It doesn't really work because it is just it just bolts on. It just makes the race 130. It just makes it 133 percent of what we would have got normally because it's a third distance. Yeah, I guess that's a, a valid point of view. I'm going to put my own opinion in there as well. I, you know, people work. People don't have time on Friday to go and watch quality, right? I mean, it depends on where you are in the world, what time it is. But generally, if we're taking a very Eurocentric view here, it's going to be a, a time when people are working. Do you not think that, I mean, I guess both of you are kind of the same point of view but is that not worth taking into account as well for these guys do they not need that fp1 and fp2 on friday so that the really diehard fans have got something to watch or the people who aren't working um but you know they're not so competitive i'm just trying to think what time it is for the americans uh it would be midday oh, who cares about them anyway? no but the thing is we are trying to cater to the americans no. oh. i know i don't like it either oh, we okay. should definitely never cater to america in any way shape or form but even for america it's midday on a friday it's still not gonna be watched qualifying especially I mean, I think there'll be a gradual change on the start of races to suit the Americans more, but hey-ho. Um, I just don't see that it's it introduces too much unpredictability for something that isn't enough reward. Because if you qualify... Well, Perez in Britain, prime example, qualifies fifth, sixth, something like that. Goes into the sprint race, spins off, starts a race to the back of the grid. That's the race over. Gasly in Italy, uh, collide like hits his front wing on. Who was it? I never. I didn't watch it. The sprint race. Oh, uh, it was just in front of Hamilton, wasn't it? Yeah, I cannot remember for the life of me. All right, Gasly he hits his wing on someone. So one of the McLarens, I think, might have been Ricardo. Yeah, probably that sounds right. Um, hits his front wing on someone, but that breaks. He goes off at. Uh, Curva Grande starts at the back of the grid and that's race over and it's all for the reward of three points maximum it's not they need to change it so in my view the sprint race is a standalone event where we do maybe it's just a standalone event maybe I don't know I just don't really see the need for it. I understand more racing, but just make the races longer if you want that. The thing is, we see in some places, um, qualifying's a really big event, isn't it? It feels like there's the, that that two that two day two massive event that you have to watch format, and changing it to the the three day does it? I feel like it just dilutes both events for me rather than you know i'm i'm i don't have you know one and a half times the excitement mm. i've got the same level of excitement just spread over a day that i might not be able to watch so yeah i guess can we as a three we're kind of agreed that sprint races are not that great it definitely doesn't work for some tracks yeah 100 percent. okay so why have they introduced it to like you said why are they trying to bring it in every track because we've they've had feedback on this right i think as a community I, I obviously i cannot speak for everyone but i feel like there has been fairly meh 
reaction to it. What about this is so good for Formula One? Or, or at least for the company, <laughs> for their bank account? I mean, probably because it's the fact that it's another race, like more people will probably, more people will see more racing. I feel like if we do something, would it probably work if we do something like qualifying in the morning and then sprint race in the afternoon or something like that instead of doing to spread the whole thing over the two days itself rather than doing it on the Friday evening? That could work, but are they trying to get more people at the track as well? Is it for yeah. for television views or is it for people live? Do you I think? Th- I think it is more the fans at the track because. Well, they're, they're going to make more money if people go to the event and if people watch it on the telly. And realistically, for a fan, if I was a fan at the track, I think I'd prefer a sprint race. Because then you get you still get qualifying, you still get the thrill of yeah. watching the cars go flat out round the track, but then you just get more racing. You get more for your money. So I'd, I, if, from a purely, like, fan at the track point of view I think that it works I just don't it just doesn't work at some tracks like especially the street ones I think Monaco is the thrill is the qualifying watching those cars go that quickly through those narrow streets Singapore probably Singapore won't really work you can't you can barely overtake on that track yeah so it doesn't work at Singapore well, it's just anywhere that there's yeah, bad it's racing, just not, right? Yeah, yeah, bad racing. I think we need to, to be honest, we need to probably wait until 22. Because if the racing is brilliant in 22, they're somehow so close together. It's like overtakes for the lead every lap. Then you're probably going to see a lot more support for it. I don't think they picked the right tracks for it this season. Okay, and we're likely to see it. Either. At, has it been confirmed for Brazil yet? No, I think it has. But you'd... I think Brazil has been confirmed for this year. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, think. I think it is. I think it, it is. must have by now. Let me check. Yeah, because we have got three sprint races. We only had it in Silverstone and, and Italy. I think. Yeah, it is. Um, Brazil. We're having the sprint. Uh, sprint quality. Okay, I'm not. I I know that that was the rumor, but I'm pretty sure they haven't uh, said anything about it. Well, I guess we'll we'll find out from Will in a second. But um, where would you like to see it then? Like. I think it works very well at Brazil. Okay, and and other two tracks. Jim, may pick one. Where would you like to see sprint races, if anywhere? Mm. Probably somewhere like Mexico, because in Mexico, there's so many places to overtake. You've freaking got three DRS straights for a track that's not very long in the lap time. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, it's sprint race at Brazil. Okay, excellent. So we've got Brazil, we've got Mexico. Uh, I guess I would put... Where so is it? Is it just tracks that are really good at overtaking? I, no, I think the problem is it doesn't work with how the race structure normally is. We think you think to m- the majority of races this season, in like in, interesting start because that's all always it's always an interesting start. Fairly mediocre first third. Before it starts to get interesting in the final third due to either tyres or even weather or stuff like that. Obviously, you can't control the weather. But this season especially, it's always been like... I can't... A lot of races have been like that. It's been a interesting first lap. Slow next 15 to 20 before it starts to 
build up to a crescendo in the final few laps. He had it in the USA in uh, uh, Monza, maybe a bit different. Bahrain, it happened in Azerbaijan, Russia. Obviously, those were out of everyone's control. But with the sprint, you're getting the interesting first lap, and it's ending at the end of the boring bit. So it's just not working. I guess, like, the obvious answer to that is, like, five laps for int race. But then you're you're putting the, the, the cars at risk for What if a mandatory nothing, pit stop right? would help? In, a, in the sprint race? Yeah, then they just run, like... Because then, basically, then you're getting soft, a long... Soft, yeah, right? you're just getting a longer qualifying and that. I think the issue most people have is that you're losing that flat-out, pure performance aspect of the weekend... And if you did a mandatory pit stop, everyone realistically is going to run double soft. Then you've still got that flat-out pure performance, but it's over a longer amount of laps. So that could work. Okay, well, uh, I guess, yeah, we're just going to move on. Sorry, mm. we've uh, we've got to go fast and furious. We've, we could talk about sprint races all day or whinge about them all day, but we can't because uh, we've got the rest of the show to do. And we're back. Just two segments left to go. And we're going to talk about uh, Grid Girls, I guess. Um, which sounds a bit weird, but they've been out of the sport for a few years now. Again, I, I'm not going to try and name a date because I've been so, so wrong this episode. Um, but we had a little bit of discussion. Uh, are you going to look it up now? Yeah, are you? I okay. need to know these things. I'm just yeah. going to know everything by the end of the year. That's... I wanted to say 2017. Was it that late? Well, they were... Uh, Okay, from the start of 2018. So technically, I was right. Oh my god, it feels like so much longer ago. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I already introduced it as the Encyclopedia of F1. So okay, like, okay. I feel like I feel like you've got the the kudos already. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna add to that. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> why why did it take so long? Right? Uh, okay, grid girls. Should they be there or not? We'll start with that question. Not, uh, not really. In in the state they were, especially. I don't think they're necessary. I think it was more of a we don't want to change something that's already a thing, and then everyone sort of got like, eh, why are they there? And then we got rid of them, and then people were outraged for exactly seven seconds, and then forgot about it. That's about it. <laughs> how about how, what? What was your thoughts on it? Or don't I think you pretty much said my thoughts exactly. To be fair. <laughs> Yeah, cool. That's that's fun. So, and it's time for the next song. No, no, we're not doing that. I brought this up for a reason. We saw the US Grand Prix two weeks ago, uh, and there were cheerleaders. Right? Did that? I don't know about you guys, but just making that just was like, just made me feel distinctly uncomfortable. I, I it's American. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, Everything about that country makes me feel distinctly uncomfortable. <laughs> And it just feels a bit unnecessary. Yeah, it, it does. It does feel like that. Anyway, the point being, um, clearly there's an aspect of um, sexualization of women there. Um, but can we not? Can we turn this into something better? We've got however long we've got. Not very long at all. We've got till the end of the segment, like five minutes. What can we do to to make this better? Is it 
entirely unnecessary? It's adding too many people to the grid. Uh, can we get some fans in there? What's the best? Not solution, because it's not a problem anymore, but how can we turn this into something positive? I mean, they did the grid kids. That sounds weird. They introduced <laughs> the grid kids um, as just as a replacement. I think they'd still be doing that if it wasn't for COVID. And obviously we've got a bubble now. I think it's a paddock bubble. So if you go into, I think it's called, it's like the green zone. You can't leave. And it feels a bit harsh leaving, like keeping children there for a few hours. Children are very fussy. So um, we shouldn't be talking about the Americans in the green zone at the same time. Yeah, but um, the yeah, I think they had the grid kids. They'd still be having the grid kids without um, COVID restrictions. And yeah, I mean, it gives a a kid an experience that they'll probably never, never forget. I think realistically, it was a good, um, good not solution, but good replacement. And I don't. I think that once COVID really dies away, they'll probably bring it back. What do you reckon? Do you think they'll actually bring it back? Maybe, maybe I'd say. Oh yeah, but the PR on like the PR on letting like children have a once in a lifetime experience is great. That's why footballers take kids out onto the field when they walk out. It's just it's it's about the experience, and I think. F1 would want to get in on that action. Okay, let's talk about let's talk about walking out on the field because that was the exact analogy I wanted to draw. Um, we've seen the walkouts before, right? Very American thing, but we've also we've had it in you know we have it in in football. We don't think of we don't think of you know coming through smoke and busting through a banner and sprinting on the field is a, is a very British thing. But it has been in football for so, so long. Um, what, what, we've seen it in... When was it in Formula 1? I cannot remember. 17. It was one of the... It was, it was an American race. Yeah, of course it was. <laughs> to be fair, like I like I did actually quite like the novelty of it. I think it works in America. It would definitely not work in anywhere else that's not America. They'll probably do something like that in Miami. Miami's just Austin and Monaco combined, basically. There will be the glitz and the glamour, but with all the Americanism as well. I mean, Shaq showed up in a Longhorn, like, stretch Chevrolet and then stood between Verstappen and Hamilton on the podium and was somehow still taller than Hamilton. What? There's nothing about that that isn't absolutely absurd and very distinctly American. Okay, so uh, I guess we have the the driver tour around the track beforehand, right? Mm. We've seen that in... It's been a feature of Drive to Survive, especially. Um, but it's kind of there for for the people watching live. Um, I guess... What, where, where else is there? Indy 500, right? They have the drivers come out, I think, the day before or maybe the morning of... Um, before they get in the cars, do you want to see something like that, or is it? Have we got enough driver interaction? interaction I think on it's. The day? I think it's fine. I don't think it needs to change. The Indy Five Hundred is like it's a week. Is it a week long? I feel like it's longer than it's, it's like for, a it's a month week. of May. Yeah, it's the month of May. It's like it's, a month long event. I think from, this this year they did like uh, 
um, they did the the road course of, event during it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's massive. I mean, I love it. I love it because it's always near my birthday because it's the last weekend of May. So I get the Monaco Grand Prix and the Indy 500 as um, as sporting events around my birthday and the Champions League. I'm spoiled for choice when it comes to sport around then. <laughs> All right, I'll finish flogging the dead horse. What about you, Chimmy? Would you like to see any more driver interaction? Is there something you want more from them, or is it just as good as is? I think it's as good as it is, really. I think anything more will probably start to come a bit unnecessary. Okay, well, that I guess that section kind of answered the question, right? This is why it's not a full horse show. And we're back for the final section, the final segment of the Warwick F1 show for the week. Uh, I guess this seg- this uh, this segment is where we can big up the Formula One um, and and the drivers in it. I want to talk about kind of the talent pool across the range of top level motorsport, both kind of open wheel racing. So you've got Formula E um, and uh, uh, IndyCar. Uh, and, you know, a little bit of the... We'll talk about IndyCar. Um, we've also got like... Drivers from V8 supercars and um, and from NASCAR. And maybe, i say, yeah, probably the two greatest drivers from those two series have just joined IndyCar, right, this year. And they're competing against, of course, Mr. Robin Grosjean, hmm. um, whose career kind of it went from... How long did he spend in Formula 1? Was it 10, 12 2009, years? but I don't think he raced for the full season because they kicked out PK. And then, obviously, he leaked everything. Didn't have a drive for 2010, so I think it might be 11 to 21. Or 20, sorry. So that's that's 11 years. That's a pretty damn long time. And it, for that period, it's fairly static for him, right? He gets some podiums. He never won a race, did he? Um and then he ends up kind of with Haas. And then he's made this new career in Formula E. Like, he looks like a young driver there, right? IndyCar. So, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Never mind, I'll leave. Jimmy's hosting now. Uh, right, yeah, sorry. In IndyCar, he looks like a new driver, right? I mean, he's the wonders. I'm like, he's like, we, this whole new side of growth, like, I've really, yeah, he's practically acting like a new driver. It's just really fun to see this new, fresh view of Grosjean, of him with this somehow notorious reputation of crashing all the time in Formula 1, crashing under the safety car in Baku, and think Ericsson hit him, and so etc. But yeah, it's just like, he gained podiums in his first season. It's not like it's a front-runner team. It's, I would say it's a upper-midfield team at best, and yeah, and now next year he signed up. Was it Andretti Motorsport next year he signed with? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's it is just looking like he's like it's like a new Grosjean just coming all out in, in IndyCar now. Was he criminally underrated in Formula One, or is it just that the talent ball that we have in Formula One is so much better than in, in IndyCar? I don't think he ever got a race winning car. I think the Lotus in 2012 and 2013 was upper, very upper midfield. I think, obviously, Kimi got two wins in 2012 Abu Dhabi, 2013 Australia. But I'd say if I had to compare it to this season, that Lotus was maybe slightly... 
probably McLaren Ferrari levels, maybe ever so slightly above. Yeah, and well, this is this is pretty unprecedented for the dominance that we've had. Yeah, so it wasn't like that back in 2012. Yeah, so and there was just like strategies because tires were all over the place as well. But I think he was underrated. I don't think you can. I don't think you get ten podiums in F1 without being a very good driver. It was just unfortunate that he could never get that win because of how supremely dominant Sebastian Vettel was in 2013, which is probably when he hit the best um, best like years of his career. And then he never really had the car to compete after that. I mean, didn't like, he just didn't have that car to take those podiums, take those wins. But I think... He got a podium, his last podium was Lotus 2015 when I think that team on that weekend in Spa were looking, were facing like bankruptcy. He was a good driver. I think he's in sort of that category of driver like Nick Heidfeld, especially, that because they can never take that win, they can never, they can never really step into the next class, which is where you get like your single winners plus multiple podiums and you get your multiple winners multiple podiums and so on and like world champions and things like that i think there is steps down depending on success and i think grosjean if he had taken that win would probably be regarded a bit higher than he is what do you reckon do you think he's underrated well yeah he is underrated i think people give him too much stick for what he really deserves i mean Yes, I think especially in the last few years he did get a bit crash happy, let's say. But the fact is he had a very impressive junior career, what people don't remember. And the fact is you don't you don't survive Formula One for about ten years without being a good driver. The fact is being in Formula One itself is something special. Yeah, you're in the top twenty drivers in the world and you've stayed in there for that long and you've proved yourself to be in Formula 1 for 10 years I think for me in itself just shows you're a good driver in itself anyway well I mean actually let me read out something quickly so in 2013 in five races he finished third 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 fourth and second like that's a good run of results in a car that wasn't um the best and without Sebastian Vettel there then he takes a win he takes three second places and takes a third place as well. Like, he did, he really just got unlucky that he hit his peak run of form when Sebastian Vettel hit his peak run of form and because the Red Bull was a better car, especially after the tyre changes in Silverstone, he just couldn't take that win. Okay, let's flip the switch. So, we've talked about IndyCar, we've talked about Formula 1, let's talk about... Formula E, and I guess there's no real segue because the drivers who switch around are pretty rare. I think uh, Rosenquist moved from FE to IndyCar, and Gasly drove two races in Formula E, and then we had Jean Eric Verne, obviously very successful in Formula E, um, and Felipe Massa joined and was not even remotely successful in Formula E. Where does that stand? in the the kind of comparison to the two that we've talked about before i mean i think there's a reason you see it go one way and not the other like well have we i mean i guess we've never seen a formula e driver only devries is has been thought of to go from formula e to formula one and i i mean 
I've said it before, I don't think DeVries necessarily deserves that will deserve that Williams seat. And I think the from a sporting perspective, I don't think that it would have made logical sense for Williams to pick a driver that's twenty six years old who took three seasons to win in F two, arguably winning it in twenty nineteen in one of the weakest grids that we've had and then took a while to be successful in Formula E as well. And realistically, because of the way Formula E was structured, about 17 different drivers could have won that, um, won the title that season. So even that, it wasn't really a dominant performance. So, and then, like, if Nick, if Nick DeVries is the best option to go from Formula E to Formula 1, and, I, like, I've just made a load of points that sort of show why he doesn't maybe look like such a good option on paper i just can't see a formula e the formula e is definitely below formula one in terms of stature and probably driver ability as well uh, i guess you you clarified it's below formula one but formula e versus indycar let's not go let's not go you know one's better than the other because i think there's a wide driver range across both if you were just you just finished a Formula Two season, you were just rejected. Would you rather go drive in America, where you've got, um, you know, I, I guess the competition's pretty decent, but there's more uh, range of teams. Or would you rather go drive in Formula E? I'd probably go IndyCar, but that's more of a personal bias than anything else. Well, I mean, is F one completely off the table because I still think a lot of drivers wait for that F1 seat or at least a testing seat. No, you've been you've been entirely rejected. Okay, you've got fine. the option of two midfield teams in both I'd both 100% series. go to IndyCar. Cuz okay. I think IndyCar looks more fun. <laughs> like it, it just does. I formerly you're on street circuits and the cars aren't especially quick. Whereas IndyCar, you go, you can go from road circuits to, and if you feel comfortable, you can go to the thrill of an oval circuit where one angle, one like degree of steering is the difference between you putting it on pole, putting it in tenth, or putting it in the wall. I, that, that seems like, and because it's more, I know they're both meritocratic, or more meritocratic, you're good enough. You can fight for wins. And I think I'd rather win in IndyCar than win in Formula E. And I think, honestly, that's why Grosjean wants to do oval races next season. I know he said at the start of the season he wouldn't do oval races. But I think just He's the, called the, bug, isn't the he? thrill of it must be like so alluring. Can he... Because if he could win, realistically, as well with IndyCar, which is not the same as... FE, maybe because it's not been around long enough, or F1 especially, you can last for a lot longer in terms of age. What, Castro Nevers won in the Indy 500? He's 40... I want to say 46. Grosjean's still, what, got... He's late 30s, yeah. Yeah, late 30s. He's still probably got, like, a 10-year IndyCar career. Uh, Scott, uh, Scott Dixon is 40, isn't he? He might be 41. He's yeah, just, he's, I, you know, he's, he was the most recent winner right, before so Alex Below. So. Castro Neves was born in 75. So that's, uh, yeah, he's 46. Okay, so are we going Formula 1, IndyCar, Formula E? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. On that note, uh, we're going to have to end the Warwick F1 show. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, you can come along to the... Okay, I'm not even going to say that. Mexican Grand Prix watch along on Sunday. Uh, make sure you follow our Instagram, Facebook, Discord, whatever, uh, to listen to that. And... <laughs>